Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 10, issue 495. And we're going to talk today about Ori 2, Ori and the Will of the Wisps, that is. And joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue, I'm going to say it's a vintage panel of James Carter. Hello, feeling old, feeling old. Joshua Garrity. Oh, I'm so old. <laughs> and he's, uh, he's a familiar voice, but the name's a bit different. Ryan Jow, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I guess I should reintroduce myself. If people Please previously do. appreciated the, um, <laughs> the stylings of Ryan Heyman, then... Uh, Ryan Zhao is my new married name. Um, if you didn't like Ryan Heyman, then I'm a completely new contributor to the Cane and Rinse world, and I hope that uh, you can warm up to me soon. <laughs> you, say, you do sound curiously like the other one, but... Uh... <laughs> and like this ghost that keeps showing up. I don't know. <laughs> and that, yeah. Maybe your opinions are going to be wildly outrageous from now on. We should also say, Ryan, I suppose, mm-hmm. full disclosure, because this game is a Microsoft Game Studios game, Ryan does actually work for Game Pass. We can say that, can't we? Yeah, yeah. So I'm a part of the Xbox team, and actually Ori and the Will-O-Wisp is one of the like early games that was still kind of in our promotional cycle when I uh, moved on to the Xbox team. And so, yeah, definitely mm-hmm. like not going to let that necessarily color my opinions because nope. it's not still like a marketing priority i don't know if i should say that but um it's not still something that we're like actively you know talking a lot about these days but uh you know just so it's just so it's known up front that i do indeed work for xbox yeah yeah no i think it's important uh but as if anyone who listens to this follows ryan on social media he'll you'll know that he doesn't let uh his uh, any any biases impact upon his uh his sometimes strong and (laughs) quite negative opinions towards the you know the things to with which he is occasionally connected but well, it's um, not all negative but sometimes <laughs> <laughs> anyway what is Ori and the will of the wisps well it's a 2d side-scrolling platform arcade adventure or a metroidvania if you will in that it has gear gating and backtracking and abilities that allow you to see more of the map and it's also the sequel to 2015's Ori and the blind forest We covered that game on a podcast back in issue 228 when that game was not quite as old as it is now. Uh, We did that in July 2016. Tony hosted that one in my head. I don't know why it was James. James wasn't even on the show, (laughs) but Ryan and Josh both were. So it'll be interesting to hear. I listened to that podcast this afternoon. I am all up to date. We should also issue a spoiler warning for the story because uh, it does form a part of the Ori experience. I think it's fair to say we will talk about what happens, significant moments in the game and probably what happens at the end. If you haven't played the game yet, it's probably about 12 to 16 hours, depending on how much you do. I'm not sure what the how long to beat is. I I did get it up. We have a time of 11 and a half hours for the main story, which is, I reckon that's a bit under what most people would take 15 hours for main and extras. So yes, a a reasonably chunky game, I think a bit longer than its predecessor for most. Uh, I spoke to Darren in the lead up to this show and he said he remembered Will of the Wisps as being shorter, but that wasn't my experience. Did anyone else beat it in less time than Blind Forest took them? My first save file was at 97% completion at just less than 12 hours. So I think that estimate sounds about right. I'm on 91% after 16 hours. So, but yes, I'm notoriously methodical player. Anyway, 
well, let's get into it, Ryan. You've played 97% of it, at least. <laughs> You're missing a few bits and bobs. I'm guessing you played it on an Xbox. Uh, actually, you played no, it on I PC. played this one on PC. Oh, there we go. Because I, uh, yeah, this one originally came out during the kind of tail end of the Xbox One lifespan. It's since been, I believe it's been upgraded to Series X. It has. I'm not sure. Yes, okay, yes, yes. great, great. No, it has. Yeah, cool. Goodness sake, I'm having to tell... The Xbox guy. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm a, yeah. I'm a big PC guy. When I when I have the option, I oftentimes just use the the PC anyways. But um, I uh, yeah. So I'm a I'm a huge fan of platformers in general, 2D and 3D. And of 2D platformers, I tend to prefer I, I guess what I in my head kind of call the more organic uh, 2D platformers anyways, ones that are less like absolute precision mm-hmm. based and more just kind of like uh, feeling the flow of it as you go. It, the Rayman Origins and Legends is like the prime example of this and Ori and the Blind Forest, uh, even the original Donkey Kong Country, like I would kind of put into that more kind of organic flow type of uh, 2D platformer. Even though they are all those games you mentioned are actually quite restrictive in how they ask you to to get through them. I sort of know what you mean regardless though. I, I think it's something about like, you know, if you if you just miss a ledge in a Mario game, then you know you're falling into a pit. Whereas an Ori and in Rayman, like they do right. a little bit of a scramble up the wall and yeah, kind of gotcha. hold and it, it feels more like a kind of a living creature that you're uh, reactively mm. um, platforming around the world. So anyways, I guess we'll, we'll probably get more into the the game feel here, but this is the kind of precise type of game that I'm always really on the lookout for. So I was definitely kind of attuned to this one um, since really, really loving the first one in the series. Um, this one, of course, got its E3 uh, reveal many, many years before it ended up coming out. And, um, it, you know, it changed quite a bit during its production as well. I was there on day one. Obviously, it was a Game Pass thing. And so I was mm-hmm. also kind of doing some um, promotion for it at the time, kind of baking Ori into a lot of our kind of, you know, multi IP brand assets and stuff like that. And one of the things I discovered when working in games marketing at Nintendo and now at Microsoft is that, uh, you know, when there's a game that you're really looking forward to, or even if, even if it's a game that you're just kind of moderately interested in, uh, spending as much time as you spend looking at the screenshots and pouring over the videos and interweaving it into all of the other, like the amount of like marketing that I do on myself, <laughs> just by sheer mm. exposure, uh, makes <laughs> right. the hype um, sometimes kind of unbearable towards the end of it. So, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I was, uh, I, I was very much looking forward to this by the time it ended up coming out. And um, did you not get to play it ahead of? public release or anything like that uh you know i didn't not this one no yeah, i had to kind of wait for its uh wait for its day one release like everyone else but fair enough i i was there early i played it through and um got my 97 percent. and i've only been back to it in the last um the last few days just to kind of get a refresher for the show so i haven't uh played mm. it before this week uh since my original playthrough um but i've had a nice time Revisiting it, I think they've kind of even on the PC version. I think they've kind of cleaned up the uh, animations and frame rate and stuff a little bit from when I played, and it's just been uh, excessively smooth on my on my computer. So, um, have, and that have final really three percent, that final three percent is that the is that a few bits of golden light, or is it say one of the ghost trial type affairs or something like that? Uh, that's a good question. Yeah, I started a new game in my recent revisit instead of going back to my old save file, but I'm oh, assuming right. it's 
some of those, um, yeah, some of the ghost trial stuff. Cause I know that yeah. I did play through some or most of those, but races is something that I just can't really be bothered with. in these types Same, of games yeah. I find it's just not that enjoyable to me. Josh, you were also pretty sweet on Ori and the Blind Forest, listening to young Josh from 2016 earlier today, as I did. So you must have been pretty hyped for the sequel. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Specific, because you're going to have to forgive me. I, my memory of what I said on that podcast is a little <laughs> bit foggy. But I, I remember that despite loving Evil. it overall, I was a little bit critical of the combat. Like I, I not so much that it didn't work; it was totally, yeah, it fun- totally functional. Um, it just, it didn't have any impact. It didn't have mm. any rigor to it. It was just like char- charge a, you know, charge a blast, and the the enemy. Visually hard dead. to read, I found as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first game, yeah. definitely. And so all of the. Um, the marketing that focused on the additions to combat, like you, you can swing a sword, you, you've got a hammer, you've got all these different abilities. That was really exciting because it felt like they were, you know, listening to feedback. They were listing and addressing one of the, you know, the few areas that I felt like the first game was, was lacking. And you combine that with the already really rigorous platforming that the, the first game had yeah, absolutely. I was there, there day one. So I played this on PC like Ryan, uh, pretty much demolished it within a week. And I've gone back to I haven't done a full playthrough since then, but I have gone back to it since just to refresh my memory. James, so I don't, despite my memory, my false memory that you'd hosted a show on the original game, I, I actually, I don't think I know what you, what you think about Ori and the Blind Forest or anything related to it so uh what's your history with the the franchise uh yeah l- like like ryan i too uh share the voice and opinions of another canaan rinse member apparently it's tony um uh I, <laughs> no it's understandable that you would think that i'd been on this because like ryan and josh uh, the first was a game that i was very interested in um i played it february 2016 i had to look it up so not at release but within kind of the first year, I guess, of, of release of that game um, and really enjoyed it. Uh, like Josh and actually like Ryan mentioned, kind of I felt like the focus was more the platforming and the movement rather than the combat and enjoyed that. But to hear that the combat was going to be addressed and going to be something that they focus more on this time and made it more, made feel more a more integral part of the um, the game and the experience rather than something you kind of just have to get through to get onto the um, the next kind of platforming sequence or you know exploring the map etc um, was all uh, music to my ears and uh, as with the uh, the other guys I absolutely was up for this at release it got a, a short delay. Uh, I think fairly close to when it was due to come out. Uh, It got pushed back from February to March, if I remember. Should have been another month or two. Yeah. um, So, so yeah, I I picked it up at release uh, on Game Pass, as far as I'm I'm aware, and played it through the rest of March I was playing it. So it wasn't absolutely ferociously intense, uh, but I was playing it, you know, pretty steadily. I played on Xbox One X, which was in theory the best console way to a way to experience it on a console and ran into several of the bugs and problems with performance particularly it wasn't actually so much like specific bugs I, I had issues with as just the performance it chugged at times i have not heard an xbox one x sound like this game made it sound before <laughs> to the point where on the last um the last fight against uh, shriek 
the Xbox just shut down and had a temperature error and was absolutely roasting to the point where I left it for six hours to cool down and then tentatively turned it back on thinking it had fried my Xbox, frankly. Um, it was not a great experience in that respect uh, and not a great way to finish the uh, the game to come back to it. At that point, I was like, right, if it's going to let me finish this game, I will finish it, and then I am not touching it until they patch this up. So uh, I've got this weird situation where I've got all of the collectibles, but I haven't got the achievement for... So I've got the achievement for that, but I haven't got the achievement for finishing the game because, again, bugs at the time, there were a bunch of achievements not unlocking, particularly when you were having performance issues. Um, And so it was kind of a, I'll put this aside and wait until I've got cause to pick it up again once it's been patched. Um, And uh, as all of you know, uh, my Xbox is currently in storage, so I haven't had the opportunity to revisit it um, this week, aside from doing a lot of reading and catching up and, and you know, uh, checking on my achievements and watching YouTube videos, but I haven't actually been hands-on with the game since uh, since I played it at launch. All right, yeah, so I didn't get around to completing Ori and the Blind Forest until the run-up to this here podcast. I did buy it when it came out, but didn't get around to playing it properly. For whatever reason, as I say, the fact that I've now completed it meant I could listen to the podcast and uh, that's also good preparation for this podcast. So, yeah, uh, that's fresh in my mind as I jump straight on to the sequel. And yes, I've played it in the last couple of weeks, finished it yesterday and then spent the afternoon today going from about the whatever I ended up completion, which was, I don't know, 50 to 60 percent to the 91 percent. And yeah, I think uh, I managed to collect all the health and energy orbs and complete the sort of Zelda-esque item passing along quest. Uh, And the yeah, I didn't collect every single orb of light because you don't actually need them by the end of the game. I couldn't actually, I I don't know if there was a, I'd unlocked every, oh, there were probably some shards that I would have, if I'd found every shard, actually, I probably would have needed some more light currency to upgrade those, but I had no, no need to, to actually do that by that point. So I'm quite happy with my 91% and Hmm. uh, a decent chunk of the achievements popped. I I can't see me 100%ing it, similar to Ryan, the, the sort of the, the racing sections the the up against a a studio team ghost effectively uh something that i i can i can kind of enjoy it sometimes but generally i find them quite frustrating and not hugely satisfying so the currency is also an unlimited resource that you get from defeating enemies and so it's kind of weird that those would key as like yeah as you know enumerated items on the completion percentage as well right yeah but yes, so just finished it. Very fresh in my mind. The game is, uh, I played it on Xbox Series X, I should say as well. The Moon Studios team was originally about 20 people, if that, at the time of Blind Forest's release, but expanded to 80 by the time Will of the Wisps was completed, according to Wikipedia. Creative director is Thomas Marler, the former Blizzard artist. As with Ori and the Blind Forest, the project manager slash lead programmer slash technical artist is Gennady Korol. And those uh, those two games are still his only two credits, which is kind of mad, like to be that important in yeah, founding in, member of in, the studio. In, and yeah, yeah. but um, but yeah, I don't I don't know what the story is there in terms of what what he'd what what his CV was prior to mm. that. Uh, he seems quite young. I don't know if he was straight out of university and uh, or something like that. But according to Moby Games, anyway, the 
Ori and the Blind Forest was his first video game. So uh, the art director and storyboarding artist and lead writer as well is Jeremy Gritton, who is another former Blizzard artist, uh, as you discussed on the previous podcast. Most of the uh, or half of the the Moon Studios team was were artists rather than programmers, designers, which is, uh, yeah, an unusual situation, perhaps. The lead designer on Will of the Wisps is Chris McKenty, who, appropriately enough, has a credit on Rayman Origins for level design, which seems to make sense. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, in the the first game, playing some of those uh, sequences where it could have been, aside from the tone and the art obviously being different, Absolutely, there were platforming sequences that you think this could be a sequence from Rayman Origins in so many ways. Uh, just the flow of it and the way you have to kind of string moves together, but not like pin sharp precise, as Ryan was yeah. saying, kind of this the scramble of it all, definitely. And the the evolution of what, like, even though it's uh, not a level design thing, but the evolution of the Ubi art style yeah, for seen sure. in, yeah, yeah, certainly yeah. when Blind Forest came out, it was like, wow, this certainly does look a bit like Rayman Origins, albeit considerably more lush. It was one generation on from the original versions of, of Rayman Origins. Gareth Coker returns as composer. The engine is Unity, which, uh, which as we know, is a an incredible resource and a flexible tool, but also, yeah, it doesn't come without issues. Uh, it's obviously, it's fantastic. I'm not a developer myself, but I understand it's fantastic for being able to release multiple versions on multiple platforms. Some I've even you know, seen some perhaps uh, glibly, but say, saying that there is like a, you know, press this button to release this game on a different <laughs> format kind of developer tool. And I'm sure it's way more complicated than that, especially getting a, say, the Xbox One X version of this running on the Switch. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I can confirm it's not that simple, but I do yeah, yeah. know that producers breathe a sigh of relief whenever I say a game is developed in Unity. So that yeah. should give you some indication. Yes, but it's also not guaranteed that, uh, while I think Unity can be pushed to an extent, uh, I think maybe, as we saw with Will of the Wisps, there there are some optimization issues that can rear their heads, depending on, I guess, but that's, I don't know if that's to do with the engine. I don't want to criticise the Unity engine out of turn, but um, but I think we've seen a few games where Unity has struggled to get great performance on certain systems mm. when it's when it's been a downward port or whatever but um, maybe that would happen in any engine it's worth noting on um this game in particular that um digital foundry uh john linman mm. co- um covered some of the technical aspects of it and did say that says understanding that this is a fork of unity that moon studios have pretty heavily adapted themselves so don't right. expect to do a unity tutorial and be pumping out a game that looks like this <laughs> okay bespoke unity yeah a little bit as james said the game was originally due to be released on february the 11th but was delayed by a month to 11th of march 2020 seth from our forum says i'm not sure if it has been fixed now but when i played this game originally on the xbox one s it ran into a lot of slowdown and lagging issues for a game that relies on precision and timing it made some sections almost unplayable Thankfully, this game's use of auto-saving helped somewhat with the unforced errors. While it was still a complete game and not completely broken, I'd rather they'd ironed out the creases than rushed it out to hit an arbitrary date. That Switch version arrived in September 2020. I think they had some assistance with the 
translation, but uh, as I understand it, again, according to Digital Foundry, whoever it was, along with Moon Studios, did a pretty spectacular job of getting what is, yeah, a pretty extraordinary looking game, even on the uh, on the bigger consoles uh, running on the uh, on the less powerful Switch. None of us has played it though the switch version i guess uh the i guess the the keenest limitation outside of the resolution is the fact that uh, it runs at thirty f p s rather than sixty or hundred and twenty on the xbox consoles and and the other Once limitation if you're someone it. who has game pass being that if you want it on switch you have to have to pay for it buy it outrageous yeah ludicrous pay yeah. money for games no that xbox series update whether you have a series s or x came out on a 10th of November 2020, running at up to 4K resolution, assuming it's 1440 on Series S, and also at what up to 120 frames per second. But sadly, I didn't get to enjoy that ultra smooth version as my monitor doesn't do it. should say on the PC, it runs at even higher frame rates up to like 144, yeah. 200 and then uncapped. Sure. So I've got, I've got okay. it running at 144 and there are diminishing returns after a while. You yes. Know, the, the amount of smoothness that you can really perceive, but it, it does feel nice. It feels very responsive. Yeah, sure. And also just as a side note, there was a new story run in Game Rant just in September this year. So two months ago, there are thereabouts, suggesting that Ori and the Blind Forest might be getting a series enhanced version, which would be nice indeed. Yeah, and that's that's a really good precedent to set because obviously we've seen, for example, for instance, getting Bloodborne to be updated for PS4 Pro or oh, PS5 yeah. uh, kind of is very difficult to do because From have already fulfilled their part of the contract. So yeah. you'd have to recontract some development for that to happen or get someone else mm. to tinker with a game that yes. isn't theirs. In this case, I guess Microsoft owning the IP means that they've got some latitude there to be able to hopefully re-employ, ah. m- recontract Moon Studios to be able to handle yeah. that. Yeah. Or perhaps their wonderful team that does in house team could be handling it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, the 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 the, the team that does the massive because you know it might be a an AI upscale rather than a redrawing. That's true. Everything That's true. in four K. So yeah, who knows? Open Critic says that the game received one hundred and seventy three reviews. It averaged a ninety percent score and was recommended by ninety eight percent of those critics. I suppose we have to take into account that actually some people would have been playing the, well, they almost all would have been playing the release version or pre-release version. And so many of them would have been experiencing technical issues. But generally what you do when you're reviewing is you have to give the developer the benefit of the doubt that they will address those problems either for release or soon after. Um, It'd be interesting to know if that score could have, edged a few percent in either direction without that but i guess we'll never know sales wise apparently two million plus beyond that who knows it's a digital game game pass players i don't know maybe ryan's got some data but he's probably not allowed to share it with us i'm going to say that more than two million people have played ori and the will of the wisps but whether how many of them have played it beyond uh, the opening little bit because as i do understand it well really it's it's something that we're able to observe ourselves uh, as regular old punters 
you can see on Game Pass that achievement percentages, even for the easiest achievements in the game, are often incredibly low because people are uh, often just installing and booting up Game Pass games just to get the Game Pass rewards. <laughs> They're not even bothering to play the game. So, uh, the Matt Murray's yeah. of the world. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. User reviews-wise, uh, Steam, it has an overwhelmingly positive rating from 70,000 people which is healthy imdb it has a 9.1 from 800 odd folks and nintendo life it has a 9.1 from 145 folks so it's all very healthy indeed in that regard so what's going on with the spirit the sprite who is ori the possibly genderless i think i don't think ori is ori ever given a gender you you talked about this in the in the previous show and and there was some she and some he and some they so i th- i think ori is a they possibly anyway if anyone has a strong opinion on that i don't think uh, i don't think the designers have made it blatant could be wrong the little spirit ori is no stranger to peril but when a fateful flight puts the owlet coup in harm's way, it will take more than bravery to bring the family back together, heal a broken land and discover Ori's true destiny. From the creators of the acclaimed action platform Ori in the Blind Forest comes the highly anticipated sequel. Embark on an all new adventure in a vast world filled with new friends and foes that come to life in stunning hand painted artwork set to a fully orchestrated original score ori and the will of the wisps continues the moon studios tradition of tightly crafted platforming and deeply emotional storytelling so says the steam blurb the thing that i wanted to say and put it to you panel is that you had some interesting conversations about the previous game's story and it leverage with the the emotional beats and the fact that it took some people by surprise and some people found it very moving and other people would accuse it of being manipulative and things like that. But the thing that struck me the most, especially playing the two games very close to one another is it feels almost like there, there is a slight difference, but really the story is the same ish. Yeah. (laughs) The context is different, but the thematic beats are almost identical, right? Yeah. Like it, it follows the same pattern again. Like even though Ori is taking the parental role here, you still have that like little story at the beginning of raising up a child and, (laughs) and putting them out into the world. Like it's, it is kind of remarkable how how close it is to the the plot of the first game. Yes, and was that a problem, James? Or um, in as much as it it even the first story, it hit some great emotional beats and really resonated with me. But there's no denying it played on some pretty well worn tropes in terms of a lot of the themes. Josh Josh mentioned that you know thematically this kind of feels very similar. the The first one didn't feel like it was thematically to me at least doing anything vastly different. It was leaning on some really strong touchstones in terms of animation um, kind of influences and in terms of story influences of like myths and legends and and um, natural world sort of light versus dark sort sort, sort of stuff um and yeah. i guess there's an there's an aspect of it ain't broke don't fix it that resonated with a lot mm. of people this game was always going to end up being played by more people i think because the first had that reputation so if it worked well first time it can work well again and once you're kind mm. of in the flow of the gameplay the story absolutely raises its head and you have emotional beats throughout but the what's happening of it is not necessarily to me 
it doesn't have to be sort of great strokes as long as I understand Ori's plight and the plight of Ku in this case and why yeah. Ori's doing this. And I never doubted that Ori, you know, was um, Ori's motivations and that kind of thing. So it worked to that extent. But a little safe, though. It feels yeah. almost like a, a Super Metroid compared to Metroid situation in that regard to me. Like, it's almost like, obviously, it wasn't necessarily next generation hardware, although it ended up on it. But it almost feels like a, in some ways, like a super revisitation of the first game now that they, you know, like now our team's four times the size and we know what we're doing. Should we do it again kind of thing? the, The issue for me is I don't think, at least on the story side, I think the gameplay side is a different conversation. But on the story side, I don't yeah. think it's able to replicate the the high points of the first game at all. Um, uh, it, it tries to, but those moments have ring really hollow for me. I, I remember talking about the first game um, on on that issue, and and actually, like as much as I agree with everything James just said, it's it's you know using well worn tropes. It had impact. Like I yeah. felt mm-hmm. an emotional response to the opening of that game. Well, the animation, uh, yeah, the, yeah. The, the character design, the music. It was all designed, weaponized. It was to weaponized, make you it, but feel. like I didn't, I didn't feel that here. And I really mm. wanted to, like I was on the game side. I, I wanted to feel yeah. those feelings and it just never came. I do think part of that is just how safe and uh, yeah. it, 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 it's one thing to have the first game deal in tropes that are well-trodden because it's still their unique take on those tropes. It's another thing entirely for the sequel to just retread them again in mm. the exact same style with the exact same feel with the exact same animation i would have wanted them to challenge themselves and do something a bit different and it yeah they didn't and the thing is that it, it doesn't feel like the um the types of motivations and like the types of things that this game is exploring doesn't need a lot of story motivation to get people invested in it you know it's a very kind of naturalistic you know you live in this forest and now there's like creepy bad stuff <laughs> living there as well and like you kind of naturally want to restore the forest to its uh its previous glory or yeah it's larger than just a forest this time around the world to its its former glory you know you you see this you see this evil owl and you kind of understand what it's about just by the way that it acts and the way that it moves the way that it looks its design you know you see all these relationships between the way that the different types of creatures interact with the world that they live in. And like all of that, I feel like is kind of enough to enough to keep things moving forward without taking a lot of extra time for, um, for cutscenes, which I don't, I don't mind that much. I think the cutscenes are very well animated. They're, they're pleasant to look at. They don't go on uh, terribly too long, but I, I kind of wish this was a game that didn't have any dialogue at all. Like I would have preferred if Mm. there weren't, uh, if there was either like significantly less or not that there is even mm. a lot, but significantly less or none at all of like written mm. text, you know, it just feels like, especially in a kind of animal magical uh, nature type of type of story. Like it feels like the kind of thing that really lends itself to um, expressing itself through, through animation and through, mm. Showing, not telling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah through atmosphere yeah. and music and and all the other things that mm, right. like our heartstrings. But we don't, and then we can inject the story. Really we, strong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can inject our own yeah. story onto it almost. Yeah, 
And I think some of the side characters, uh, their speeches, such as they are, as you say, they're not lengthy particularly, mm-hmm. uh, are perfectly okay. Like uh, there's, there's a few characters with, with some little sort of uh, written quirks to their speech and stuff like that, but nothing too over the top, nothing too uh, cringe-inducingly hilarious, zany or whatever. You know, it's it's fairly subtly done. But yeah, I, I think actually other than, I guess they, they struggled, they would have struggled with trying to have things like a shop and an item exchange quest and things like that without any words whatsoever. It would have been... It would have been difficult to communicate some of those elements, the upgrades and and the and the sort of where to go next and why is the giant frog now here when it was there before. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. Like I, I think I think it, it would have been really cool to not have any words whatsoever because of the game does feature this. Uh, I, I I guess uh, fantasy made up language. I guess it would be. I, I think to have the overarching voiceover that both games has which is the the kind of the great spirit tree i guess you need some words on screen to make that understandable mm. in in whatever language you're playing it i'm not sure yeah but actually the ideas of the game are so kind of universal classic universal yes maybe it doesn't need maybe it didn't need the words i don't know i guess i'm also thinking about even just things like the fact that the big bad in the first game there are there are reasons why, as as you discussed on on the previous podcast, but it's it's an owly bird. In this game, it's a different kind mm-hmm. of bird. Like they didn't even go for a different. Yeah, it's a it, it's a malformed and and you know kind of uh, maybe even scarier bird than the first game. But it's <laughs> another bird. It's still yeah, an owl. That's though, the right? thing. It's it's yeah, it's, it's like yeah. everything about the the, the right. narrative just feels like. Remember this bit? Now it's mm. even better or even scarier <laughs> mm. exactly, or even yeah. more extreme. And also they even have this, the same kind of the beat at the end of sympathy for the villain where mm-hmm. it's a different motivation, right? Like so the, the owl in the first game is coming from a place of a parent that's been enraged and this is more, you know, a case of a character being uh, an outcast, which is okay, great. That, but ultimately, the end result is the same: is that oh, yeah. you have uh, an angry, evil owl. And I don't know. That's that's really frustrating to me. I, I, I get what Ryan's saying; like it does the job. It's it's completely functional. But I felt like the first game was more than that. Like it, and there are definitely games out there that do what Ryan wants, which is be completely silent you know, let the story kind of uh, convey itself through animation and motion yeah. that do have that impact. So I don't think it's so much an, uh, an, an issue of how they're expressing it. I think even mm. if you ripped away all the dialogue, I'd still feel the same way. It's just yeah. the ideas. It's the concepts that are not ambitious enough. And and it's, Given what we're probably going to go on and talk about, there are so there's a sense that this is a bigger team with more budget behind it, and they've stretched themselves in other places. Like even like the the way that the game um, looks and sounds in the first game was impressive. In this game, they've they've taken that like they've run run with it a bit with extra budget and extra people, and so in that sense, the story being so similar is a real big. It's a really big, obvious point to say we've not here. Like the, there, there's a list in the credits of people involved with the story, but where's the extra? Where's the where's the 
the challenge there to mm. to retell a story and like even um shriek as a as an owl yeah scarier but it and and it's an owl with stone bits on and yeah sympathetic mm. character but for all of that it feels like we're going to a different forest or a different part of the world where exactly the same mm. thing's happening again. It's just a little bit weird. Or or if that is going to be the case, you need to uh, uh, be open about that initially. Oh, this is happening here as well. And now here's the starting off point is similar, but it's going to go somewhere different. And yeah, Josh is absolutely right. I can't deny that. It doesn't. And that is a little like Samus's adventures, uh, <laughs> as, we'll, as we'll discover as we go through our Metroid or, series or as Master well. Chief and Halo. Each game, yeah. it's a different encounter but much the same thing happening but it feels different they make something different of it even to the extent in this one of the unpoisoning of the water which is obviously mm. a thing naturally because of the, the way the game works in and ori could end ended up being able to swim in the first game and it was fun and going underwater mm. is gives great exploration opportunities and some different gameplay dynamics so of course you need to have that again but although the way in which you unpoison the water is is different this time around the the end result again is the same mm. you go somewhere where the water is deadly and poisonous and you can't go in there and you have to cleanse it somehow uh and it just yeah like i, I don't know why i feel more critical of this game for doing that than i do from for nintendo doing it over and over. i know there haven't actually been like hundreds of metroid games but the way that that game always demands that you know it takes away all your stuff and then you need to have the hot suit so you can go in the hot places again zelda as well it's 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 a thing uh, like mm. doing this so I, I i perhaps i'm being unfair by being so maybe it's partly because i played them so close back to back that i'm more struck by just how similar they are radical dog from our forum says i'm jealous of everyone for whom this is their first ori game however the way it completely retreads the same story points was a real disappointment if a series brings a character back from the dead it works once but dying stops being an interesting plot point ori did the whole loop twice without any sense of irony sam c says though the story drives the gameplay forward adequately it was a little heavy-handed with every emotional beat a bit too obvious for my liking on the counter mark hoog from our forum says Ori and the Will of the Wisps came at a time when the country went into lockdown. My relationship had just ended and I had switched from a steady hotel job with colleagues to freelancing from home. The atmospheric environments and precision based gameplay that I knew from the previous game provided me with just the kind of distraction I needed. It was a real comfort to get lost in the game, focusing on one challenge at a time. Chunks of escapism similar to those offered by Soulsborne in the past. The moment the familiar music kicked in during the first big chase scene is one I'm not likely to forget anytime soon. Oh, and did I cry? No, of course not. I just have a very dusty house. The visual side, the original Ori was based on two-dimensional artwork. Jeremy Gritton, the Blizzard former Blizzard artist, uh, at the was still at Blizzard at the time of uh, the release of Blind Forest and was was impressed with the game. Left Blizzard to join his former colleague, I guess, at Moon Studios, to help lead the art development in the sequel, Will of the Wisps, with a major shift of making all the major character art into three-dimensional models played in multi-layered backgrounds, says Wikipedia. My thoughts on the graphics. So uh, what's so I've just, as I say, I've just played Blind Forest. Obviously, I saw it back in 2015 or whatever, and uh, and perhaps... We weren't. We were. We were still. You know, in uh, bathing in 1080p glory for most things at that point. 
it's still having played it recently it, it, I, I still thought it was a, a marvelous looking game in the way that that kind of artistry doesn't necessarily age so much what really blew my mind though is the fact that uh playing will of the wisps on the series x in 4k somehow managed to make ori in the blind forest look quite drab <laughs> and dull it's an incredible looking game like I, I there are other things that i'm going to criticize later on about this game other than the story i think the way it looks the way it animates um the the bosses that um the, the the you know the the spirit animals that you encounter it all looks incredible like it looks so good and ori is just one of the most expressive platforming protagonists that i've seen in terms of the way they move the way they interact with the environment the way they interact with enemies uh, that sense of weight with um, all the weapons and all the abilities um, the rebound ability just looks amazing it's just an absolute tour de force visually and in terms of animation it does look really incredible the background environments especially it's one of those things where Every leaf on the tree and every blade of grass is kind of its own physics object in a way, and it all sways with the with the wind and even kind of brushes alongside of you as you're running through some of the backgrounds. It just feels like there's a lot of um a lot of stuff that you're used to seeing as just kind of like a two d matte painting in the background of like a Donkey Kong country game. You know those will be very detailed backgrounds, but it's just kind of a painting more or less with you know sometimes some layers of parallaxing in there but the fact that like everything is its own uh, kind of individual physics object everything is moving around really really beautiful especially when the weather really starts kicking off during storms during when the sand is blowing everywhere like it's it's really incredible from a technical perspective um i'll say sometimes it's uh sometimes it feels like Everything is moving at the same time, and it feels like it's more movement on screen at once than I really mm-hmm. enjoy looking at. But mm-hmm. even so, like that's such a minor, such a minor yeah. c- uh, criticism. And like the just like this small amount of detail that is in kind of every single little corner of this game, from the um, kind of the the every wall is interesting to look at in its shape and its silhouette. Um, you don't come across a lot of, you know, like just plain right angle walls like you would in a lot of other games. Like everything feels so well considered. The particle emitters at the bottom of waterfalls just kind of showing the spray of water where the little trickle of water hits the um, the body underneath is uh, like little tiny details like that are the kinds of things where it's like in other games, there would be one room where the art director really went crazy, <laughs> you know, spend a ton of time just polishing it up as their personal passion project. Somehow, this entire game is kind of up to that standard in every room. It feels impossible in the amount of effort it must have taken to produce this vision. But again, like sometimes it does feel like a little bit much. And if I could mm. potentially like resurface, I think it was a criticism of the first game that I had back then. Um, I think it's less of an issue in this one, but uh, to kind of invoke this this magical nature feeling to everything, um, Ori and a lot of the other uh, forest creatures and their projectiles glow like a really bright light with really, um, mm. really high yes. bloom. And sometimes just the... Uh, the bright lights kind of blend in with each other and it's kind of easy to lose yourself in the chaos of everything else that's yep. 
bright and glowing I at agree. the same time, but I, I don't think it was as big of an issue as it was in the first game, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I agree. It It's so sumptuous and breathtaking at times that it, it's, it, it is actually hard to focus <laughs> on what you're doing. And yes, I think there are points where it's a little bit like, yeah, is that is that actually a bit of foreground or a bit of background? And uh, they've obviously worked so incredibly hard to minimize that confu- that visual confusion that I don't want to call it out too much because I finished the game. I got 91% completion. By the time I was playing this afternoon in the kind of post-game victory lap, I absolutely knew my way around and I could recognize what was a clingable wall and, and what wasn't. But mm. early on in the game, I think, We'll get into the difficulty, but it does have the a similar sort of uh, uh, mo to 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 the predecessor in that the game starts off more challenging than the game becomes mm. because you start off pretty weak, uh, and those little frustrations about the environment not always being entirely clear yeah. uh, are actually pronounced at the front end of the game. Whereas later on, a you know what everything looks mm. like and you you can take loads of damage so it doesn't matter if you occasionally mess up in the same way a lot of the details about the design of the environment and i think a lot of it does go back to the art do play into as i was saying before this being a very like reactive platformer like where instead of like a mario game where everything does feel very um very binary in that like you're either on a platform or you're off of it and you know exactly where to land to land on the platform or uh, land on the platform and and you know where you'll end up in a pit um a lot of ori because it's set in a natural world has a lot of like like curved walls where you can kind of run up a bit of it and then you'll kind of bump your head up against the upper portions of it when the curve gets a little bit too strong for Ori to handle. And sometimes you're kind of tasked with getting into little alcoves that seem to be only reachable, at least in the early parts of the game. You do get some more some more robust uh, travel techniques later on. But uh, if you're doing a little bit of sequence breaking, then it's the type of game where you can sometimes kind of wedge yourself in a portion of the environment that you're not entirely sure you're supposed to be in just because of all the jagged rocks and the curved environments and the you know, things that aren't necessarily like ideal for platforming, but they are really ideal for creative expression within a platforming space and making making your adventure feel very much like your own. You know, getting something early feels very doable because it's a physics challenge and not a not an equipment challenge necessarily, if that makes any sense. Like the yeah, number no, of times that does, I was yeah. able to to jump off of a wall that I absolutely shouldn't have been able to just because I was able to kind of like figure out a clever way to get there. Um, that feels so rewarding to me. Yeah, no, that absolutely makes sense. Because, I mean, if this was grid-based, it would be a simple case of, okay, I can only jump one box exactly. high and I need to get a double jump to get up too. You know, it, it's much more visually in, readable. And I think to your point and, and Leon's, I think what happens in the early game is a lot of it feels like trial and error to see what you can get away with and see what's going to hurt you and what's going to help you and uh, mm-hmm. what about the environment is dangerous. So there is just a little bit of trial and error of, okay, you know, uh, I'm, I'm learning what the bounds of this game are and having that, those um, that kind of not huge but notable uh, amount of um, physics go- um, in terms of the mechanics going on in the game does mean that it is a little bit of you learn as you go but after a few hours you've kind of got mm. the hang of it and that that 
alongside the abilities just starts to flatten the difficulty curve quite a bit later on i think yeah yeah in terms of in terms of the way the game looks i think the other thing that uh, that happened in between the previous ori and this one is hdr became much more of a thing so when you've got a character that is pure white light i think the the multi layers yeah. and the hdr and an art team that want to do this with a game means that they're encouraged to push the boat out a lot more and so there absolutely are still points where there was too many bright glowing things on the screen all at once um, for me, but yeah, it generally felt readable and, and the having it as um, a layered three-dimensional uh, environment or three-dimensional objects in, in a layered environment meant mm. that often there was like different layers of, uh, of hue uh, from each layer. So the foreground would be a completely different hue to the background, but you've got a sense of, the way that light is moving through that environment in a really cool way. Uh, it just, as, a, as an HDR showcase, it's something quite special, I think. Yeah, the uh, I think there's there's more variety in the environment compared to the first game, mm. which was more woodsy and foresty. Uh, as per the title mm. here, I think uh, you go to some more distinct areas of desert and snow and underground, which I think was my favourite looking one, the... The, the spiders and webs and glowing insects just looked absolutely gorgeous <laughs> i thought uh, and the and the uh, the pools over on the west as well the coral pools and all that stuff yeah just yeah it's just a showcase for art for, yeah. for a graphical art yeah, what you can do inside a computer uh, Seth from our forum says Ori and the Will of the Wisps might just be the most beautiful game I've ever seen. The art style is full of character and made me want to explore the world more to see what other locations I could discover. As I say, Gareth Coker returns, this time with featured vocals from Airely Brighton and Kelsey Mira. We also got credited featured woodwind from Kristen Nagus and featured bass clarinet to Laurent Ben Slimani, I think, according to the uh, Internet uh, Game Music Database, I think. Uh, we, well, Thomas, Thomas Quilfelt interviewed Gareth Coker for the uh, the now on long-term hiatus Sound of Play podcast, so I recommend going back and listening to that. Just uh, search Sound of Play Extra, Gareth Coker. That was in June 2020. You talked about the music, the the sort of incidental background music, uh, perhaps in the first game, not being all that outstanding, despite Coker's obvious talent and the fact that I think he created a nice texture bed for the first game. My thought is that maybe that criticism had been heard by him, uh, the composer, and Moon Studios, because I think a lot of the areas this time have much more distinctive me melodic themes, which which I thought fitted rather well. Not all of them. Sometimes it's more ambient atmosphere. But I think some of the areas have... Uh, really delightful music and then the pieces that play during the kind of the intense action scenes uh is uh yeah some really lovely stuff from my point of view this is a really beautiful soundtrack i think i don't really have anything negative to say about it but i will say that the track just you know in how it hits me in my personal opinion the track a shine upon inkwater marsh which you hear pretty early in the game i think is such a strong piece of music that the rest of the soundtrack kind of pales by comparison. Like it, huh. it's just such like a strong early contender that it kind of hangs over the rest of the experience musically. Um, but mm. uh, again, that is only a good soundtrack outshone by a phenomenal 
piece of music. Uh, you know, it's it's really nothing bad to say about the the rest of the soundtrack. It, it's funny. I, I didn't have the the track name to hand, so th- thanks for doing that, Ryan. I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> I thought the 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 music early on was was so strong that the rest of the game didn't quite live up to that. Um, so yeah, that's interesting that we're in sync that way. Yeah. I don't know which piece that is either, so I'm going to have to go and check that out. I expect you'll be able to hear it. Yeah, I expect you'll be able yep. to hear it either in the front or the back of the show when you listen to it, Leon. Good stuff. What about the actual sound design for the uh, environments and the actions of Ori and the world around him? I feel uh, I feel like it's uh, it's it's as rich as, as almost as rich as the visuals. Maybe not quite, but uh, and I think things like the the combat sounds uh, felt more imposing and logical this time around. Mm. Yeah, the, the, there's a sense of impact to the combat that mm-hmm. was that was missing from the first game, where it felt a little bit limp. Yeah, I think that's partly the changes to visual and animation, but I think the sound design together... playing a part as well. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, I love the sound design when you're burrowing through the sand. I think yeah. that <laughs> feels appropriately. Uh, earthy and gritty as you're doing yeah. that um and i love the, the the sound design when you're diving underwater i think they just do a good job of selling the texture of whatever you're you're traveling through or in yeah i absolutely agree i think um the the sound of your character moving through the environment actually as well you know when you you hit a wall surface uh, or you're kind of scrambling up there's just all those the texture sounds is a great way of putting it that just mm. provides the the weight and a feeling of what that surface is and what that impact is that that goes throughout the game and and like you said leon um when you're in the underground areas and there's crawling creepy things around you get a sense that that is the case you know the sound kind of can close in around you when it's necessary yeah, absolutely. I, I I think it does a fantastic job of adding to the atmosphere that the visuals kind of lay out. Let's get into the actual gameplay then. Why not? Mr. Ixalite can kick us off from the forum. He says, my first impressions were not great. One of my problems with the original game quickly resurfaced where I wished it would stick with the effective silent storytelling rather than adding slightly overdone narration and now also cute but stock NPC dialogue. On the gameplay front, the unique save point as resource mechanic was gone, as was the experience-based skill tree. Now auto-saving, ability-modifying badges and vendor-purchasable skills were in, with the currency bizarrely still being the abstract concept of spirit light. Combat was also overhauled and I felt a big disconnect watching cute, wispy little Ori now assaulting foes with furious <laughs> sword strikes and giant warhammers. It felt like a bit of, a, of an identity crisis. Ultimately, the main story of Will of the Wisps never really connected with me, least of all the ending, which I felt wasn't supported by a cypher character such as Ori. On a micro level, I did enjoy the basic pleasure of help these cute cute forest critters out, but not so much the macro story and lore, especially once it went for a needless, prophesied chosen one beat. But man, did I ever come around on the gameplay. One of my biggest problems with past Metroidvanias is that engaging with the world quickly can become dull and repetitive, But in this regard, Ori's world feels far more varied and less rigid than many of its peers. 
Rather than a series of simply connecting rooms with enemies, the world feels like if you took a bunch of challenges from a more traditional level-based 2D platformer and then sprinkled them across a Metroidvania structure. And I loved it. I would seek out each little spirit light orb with glee, just for the joy of besting the platforming challenge guarding said paltry reward. Ori is a joy to control with some of the best 2D movement I've ever experienced. Between double and triple jumping, bashing, air dodging and grappling, you feel constantly compelled and empowered to keep Ori off of the ground. When I got to the late game, launch ability, my face broke into a huge disbelieving grin, amazed at the sheer freedom of movement the game had provided me with. While combat is a bit fiddlier, I also grew to enjoy it, and in its best moments it can be a satisfying rush to juggle enemies, switch skills on the fly, and then nail a foe with a time-slowing energy lance. The act of clearing the game's various challenges is so fun that even with the game freezing up on average once per play session for me, I kept coming back. Weaving through the air before smacking an enemy with the ridiculous warhammer just felt too good. Anyone want to chime in on anything Mr. Ixalite has raised there? I will say that I'm I'm really happy that they dropped the save point as resource mechanic from the okay. first game. It's just it's a level of mental load that I just mm-hmm. don't need from a game that's um, as rigorous as, as these games are in terms of the platforming at the very least. I just want to know, like like a Celeste or, or like a Super Meat Boy, at the beginning of this room, at the beginning of this challenge, I've been checkpointed because there was too many times in the original game where I just forgot. And it wasn't enough yeah. where, like, I, I you know... I I definitely got used to the system and I was doing it frequently enough um, that it wasn't a huge sticking point. But those one or two times where I would have, you know, where I did forget were hugely frustrating. So to just have that responsibility taken off my shoulders, I think was a good move. What what I will say on that, though, is given what I and I imagine some, some of the rest of us are going to have to say about where this game draws its inspirations from in the mechanics <laughs> that was a unique mechanic to ori in many ways i'm not saying it's the only game to have done that but that's something i could say about ori that it wasn't just last time you touch the ground it's going to save it wasn't here's a save room it wasn't um the, the as you said just the beginning of the room is the reset point that was something that stood out about ori in good or bad whatever i'm not necessarily saying they're wrong to take it away but taking that away changes something about the feeling of this game from the first in a way that makes it feel less Ori. And I do agree with uh, Mr. Ixalite's comment about felt like a bit of an identity crisis. The first game, I wanted something more from the combat if they were going to have it in there, and the platforming felt quite a bit like Rayman Origins. This time round, they've taken away the unique thing they had with the save system. They still have the Rayman Origins feeling platforming to me, and they've also grabbed at some other stuff that they've seen mechanically that they like. And it just feels like this game, uh, not the least of all, because thematically Ori is not a character that feels like someone that should be going around swinging a sword at enemies. That It feels weird. Once I started playing the game and got used to it, absolutely fine, not a problem. But the slightly passive feeling... I've got a turret behind me that's actually firing, even though I'm in control of it in the first game, that felt less aggressive from Ori, who is a character that's supposedly trying to save the natural world in some way, shape or form. Uh, Yeah, so it's definitely weird to me. 
as I keep saying, this is a, a game that has like a very specific type of feel to it that's only shared by kind of a small percentage of you know these very organic feeling platformers. I, I really like uh, one of my favorite things about this, and it's just a really small thing. And actually, you can kind of you get an upgrade that negates it pretty early in the game. Like one of the very first upgrades that you get is uh, the ability to like cling to a wall indefinitely. But I really like when you have to kind of keep tapping A to do little jumps up the wall to climb to climb it effectively, uh, because that feels like that's that's how I kind of um, that's how I imagine it feels like to be like an actual squirrel. You know, like this is a <laughs> game that makes me feel like more like an actual animal. Uh, just trying to kind of survive, Sugar glider. A, yeah, yeah. trying to survive in a natural environment than any other game. And one of the things that it empowers me to do is, you know, the the controls are so natural. Everything feels like it's really making the best use of the controller buttons, from the the bumpers to the triggers and the face buttons. Like mm. all of it feels really ideally located mm. to make a, to make navigation really um, really intuitive. And one of the things that empowers me to do is just to bolt through a level at top speed into, you know, dangerous caverns without stopping and thinking about it first, because I know that I'll be able to figure out whatever situation I find myself into just by, you know, yeah. leaping before I look, you know, it's, and it's oftentimes like in Absolutely. those situations in dangerous caves and such, you'll have like two or three ways that you can circumnavigate whether it's bashing off of enemies or grappling onto one of those blue uh tongue flower things or whether it's uh, just using your air dodge in an appropriate place or even sometimes um damage boosting through something you know there's so many options that you have that like it really you know unlike meat boy where it feels very prescriptive like there's a way you're supposed to do this you know it feels like let's just get in there and let's figure it out as we go and like nine times out of ten it turns out okay like it gets my heart beating a little bit but it turns out okay yeah well i i found remarkable uh, actually just again th uh, thinking about the the late game experience compared to the the early game experience in that respect going back to it today as i say from the like the last save before there's no new game plus as such you just go back in just before the i think you can redo the final boss and and whatever else uh just going around the map fast traveling from fountain to fountain and then yeah just diving into these areas which were really intimidating early on in the game we should say that uh, i know you, you talked uh quite a bit on the previous podcast about the the sort of the the challenge level of of the original game and i i think overall this one is a bit i found it a bit easier overall mm. i would say i'm not sure what my death count on the original game was but on this game it was 200 and something and, and you folks were talking about like four to six hundred on the previous game uh so my feeling is that maybe this game is is slightly more gentle and approachable but again that could be a subjective thing or it could be because i've just come off the back of playing the original and so i was although things have changed controls wise but yeah just that that feeling at, at late game and, and particularly that launch ability yeah yeah which uh which mr ixalite mentioned where you, you talked about bash being the the kind of the great liberator in the first game but launch here is the one that essentially gives you just gives you the ability to 
pretty much touch every corner of the map that you haven't been able to to get to before. You can even do stuff like because you get another launch ability after you do anything like anything else happens to you. you can, when you've got a big health bar, you can just deliberately spike yourself and then get another launch to fly to fling yourself higher into the world. Uh, it almost reminded me of sort of some of uh, some of our friend Ben's Metroid speedrunning techniques in the in the sort of the way that you're actually kind of gaming the game. You're like you're so you're so kind of durable mm. and flexible that you can just kind of fling yourself at everything and and to pick up. As I say, you know, I spent three enjoyable hours picking up all the not quite all, but almost all the collectibles, all the ones I mm. wanted. And it felt like a different game to the opening few hours where you're, you feel like you're made of China. Yeah, and I think that's that's part of what Ryan was talking about with um, at the start, you feel like you're an animal scrambling, like literally up the wall, you're scrambling, you know, tapping uh, to, to, to go up. And I, I really do appreciate that's the feeling they're trying to give you. And it's a journey to be, no, you are the, the, the forest spirit, you know, you, you, realize what you are and, and you've uh, expanded what you are so greatly by the end of the game that it makes sense that that should be easier but yeah a, 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 i think all of these abilities add to that leap before you look that ryan mentioned and i think that's where uh to to go back to to josh's point taking away the need to save whenever you see a spike or a jump that you don't know what's at the other end of it that adds to the same thing that lets you have that freedom to just mm-hmm. say, I'm going to just go and try this rather than, Oh, did I save? Where did I last yeah. save every single time you see something you're not sure of? Yeah. It's, it's being able to go into that flow state, right? It's, yeah. I, I do think the level design here um, is better suited for the style of platformer that um, R- Ryan ke- keeps um, yeah. comparing Ori to in that, the original Ori, not all of the game, um, but there were certain sections of it that felt like it was trying to be like a mass, you know, the, the people call them massacre uh, mm. platformers like Meat Boy mm. or Celeste, where it just required a degree of precision and exacting standards that I just don't think Ori as a character is built for, or mm. at least doesn't feel fun when you're controlling Ori in the same way it does for me when I'm controlling Celeste or, or Meat Boy. Whereas here it feels much more about just like, let's give the player really fun things to do to chain together in a row. And it's less about precision and more about memorizing what abilities do what and being able to chain them together in this fluid motion that creates that feeling of flow that creates that organic feeling that that ryan keeps referencing and i think it's overall i think this game is much more successful at creating those moments of flow even though they do exist in the original as well it's interesting you mentioned masso core Tom, uh, Tom, the aforementioned Tom Quillfelt mentioned uh, that, used that terminology. I'm not, I wasn't, re- I think maybe I've heard it before, but I wasn't very familiar with it. Of course, it makes sense in terms of some of the games you mentioned. And there are even those that are even more so thinking about those, uh, those Super Mario Maker levels that we, we talked about and things like that. The, 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 those that are designed to be utterly, utterly punishing and exacting. Uh, and, it made me wonder, actually, as I was, uh, I guess, about halfway through this game at the point Thomas mentioned that, ha- having not played this game, saying that he, you know, he was looking at this as that kind of game. And that just apart from, yeah, a slightly 
difficult opening section as as with the first game i just yeah it just doesn't feel like that kind of game at all to me like i i I find celeste quite frustrating to play because of its sort of repetitive nature and the fact that it demands these absolutely specific and exact inputs which cannot be improvised around at all really Mm -hmm. to any extent whereas this game does does allow you to flex your creative muscles when it comes to traversal and as i say late game by the time you've got 20 energy balls or whatever they are it's actually it'll take you ages to die let alone dying every few (laughs) seconds this feels expressive and improvisational in the same way that uh, mario odyssey does yeah and i think um part of this game's reputation actually comes from the first game where it was oh Mm. look at this family friendly cutesy platformer that looks like Disney-esque, Ghibli-esque sort of animation. And then people played yeah. it and were like, oh no, <laughs> you're not giving this to someone as their first game. It's very much yeah. built off the back of yeah. Metroidvania and platformers. But not to say that you are going to face this room a hundred times like towards the end of Super Meat Boy was the case for me, where it's just, okay, put your put your brain on repeat, put your, your hands on repeat and just do this until you finish it. That's just not the game that even Ori, the first one was, but that's where that reputation came from because of the, the disjoint between yeah. the way it presented or yeah. the way people thought it was presenting itself and then what it actually yeah. was to play. And it's a characteristic of these kinds of games. It came up recently. There was that very negative Metroid Dread review that a lot of people called out for essentially not understanding the genre because the the reviewer was kind of criticizing the fact that you are weak at the start and you get stronger throughout the game uh and that's to paraphrase and, and simplify but actually thinking about other games in the genre it's it is it it's quite normal for for that sort of almost reverse difficulty curve to be to be the case the the things that kill you very quickly at the beginning are trivial become trivial later on and as ryan said in the blind forest podcast it's actually the what becomes more complicated and more challenging although certainly the castlevania metroidvania games and metroid itself have some extraordinarily challenging late bosses that perhaps this game doesn't have actually uh to the same degree anyway it's more about the fact that you have all these uh, locomotion options and abilities and it's about then understanding the environment and having got your head around the way that the layout may be planned. There are various gates and switches and elevators and secret nooks and crannies in this game that actually the the puzzling is part of the challenge away from the oh yeah the just yeah. staying alive. I was playing the very beginning of uh, Castlevania Circle of the Moon, the the one that's just called Castlevania on the GBA uh, collection, and that's exactly the same as Ori in a way. Like the first. Obviously, that new compilation has save states and I think rewind as well, possibly. Uh, but I was, you know, I was trying to play own natural, and I kept dying before I'd even got to the first boss that gives you the first trophy in the game, the first achievement. But then, of course, by the time I'd got there in that game, you've actually leveled up. You've actually just got more hit points and more health, and you go, "Oh, that's yeah, that's how these work." Mm. Sam C from the forum says the smooth movement and tight level design makes for some great platforming. I particularly like the bosses, which are visually imposing, but usually defeated by escaping through a nail-biting platform gauntlet. Being rewarded for reaching hidden or inaccessible areas always felt good, too. I remember the combat being the weakest part of the original. It feels like since then, 
the developers took inspiration from Hollow Knight, resulting in a much tighter combat system with a quick sword as the main weapon, augmented by an array of other unlockables like arrows and a massive hammer. Hollow Knight gets mentioned a lot. So that game came out before this oh, one yeah. Yeah. originally in 2017, uh, some years before. Uh, and I think the that certainly has a reputation for being more of a hardcore gamers game, in inverted commas mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, a very challenging Soulsbornian take on the Metroidvania genre. How much influence it had on this game, we obviously don't know exactly, but it seems to have possibly taken a few bits and bobs here and there. Yeah, I, like I think we're all kind of beating around the bush of the statement that Thomas made um, in reaction to people comparing it to Hollow Knight. I want to be clear, mm. like I, I actually don't mind that the game feels at least like it's taking from influence from Hollow Knight because why wouldn't you? Like Hollow yeah. Knight is a critically yeah, acclaimed. Well loved, loved game. Go ahead, like t- take some ideas that make sense for your, for your title. Go, you know, feel free. It's the defensiveness that <laughs> just yeah. struck me as really <laughs> off. Just mm-hmm. yeah, like if it didn't, if you didn't take influence from Hollow Knight, fine, don't say anything. But if, but this reaction just feels like. Mm. Are you are you like to me? My first instinct is your need to point out that you definitely didn't take influence from Hollow Knight <laughs> makes me think you a hundred percent took influence from Hollow Nothing Knight. Nothing to see here. Move along. Yeah, totally. Um, and yeah. like again, I don't know either way. But there, I, I and I, I took when I first played this game, I took a screenshot of some of the art, the, the level design later on in the game that looks strikingly similar to some later levels in Hollow Knight where the mm. um, infection takes hold in that game. Mm-hmm. There's similar si- similar imagery of disease and corruption it, it, in a way that goes beyond kind of our common kind of understanding of what disease and corruption looks like. It felt like it was coming from the same place. And again, totally fine but like the defensive yeah, reaction Dennis is Borrow, a little crib, bit. All art, yeah. all art borrows Absolutely. and cribs off, off everything else. Yeah. I think there are elements where you could say, yeah, that might actually be, uh, you know, liable to litigation or whatever. They, there's certainly been many cases of that in the past. I don't think on, I, uh, I am not. But, yeah. I'm not going down that road. Sure. And there's no, absolutely a hundred percent been cases where, you know, artists have been inspired by the same source material, right? That that mm-hmm. that, and that's almost certainly the case here. But another thing that really irks me is that the burrow mechanic, which is fantastic in this game, looks really similar to an unreleased uh, indie game called really Pepper, similar. Pepper Grinder, mm-hmm. and that mm. and his reaction to the comparisons to Hollow Knight then make me think about that game as well in a way that I wouldn't have if he had said nothing. So it's a weird situation. Obviously nobody knows, but like it, it it feels like a really odd reaction to, to what fans are saying. hundred percent. The fact that he's, we've already, yeah, he's been called out. He's called himself out, whatever. We talked about the uh, Thomas Marler's controversies earlier in the show and this as well. He's not, for, for some, for somebody who's been involved in two, you know, quite wonderful games, <laughs> I don't think he's coming across terribly well overall. No, 
No, th- this was like as as Josh said, particularly for Hollow Knight, not so much for Pepper Grinder because that's yeah. an indie being made by a single individual, still being made, yeah. still in Is production, okay. and. I've read some comments saying, yeah, sure, it looks similar, but also both games may well take in their inspiration from Sonic Colors. You look at Sonic Colors and it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely, you've got Sonic kind of going through water or, or sand in that same sort of way, sort of burrowing underground. Absolutely. Yoshi did it in Yoshi's Island. I was about to say, end, I'm sure Leon could well. mention yeah, some true. others as well. So yeah. <laughs> for sure, this is not a unique mechanic, but no, if you put the way it looks in Pepper Grinder next to this, it feels like it's more similar like next to to sonic colors again feels like the way this moves the speed at which this moves the amount of control yeah. you have and what you are doing kind of chaining around between different pickups or attacking bosses from underneath etc that all seems so similar and yeah. with hollow knight crib away all you want team cherry are not going to be affected yeah. if if ori cribs from them in fact they will be flattered that a, a game from a studio like this as their sequel they want to pull in stuff from hollow knight but with pepper grinder that's a single individual indie developer i don't know if they've ever if uh, moon studio have ever seen that game mm. but the fact that it's so similar and in response to a tweet by the guy making pepper grinder someone says oh this burrow mechanic looks like ori it's like yeah that's the problem is that yeah. now mm-hmm. Pepper Grinder looks like yeah. it's a ripoff when that mechanic was clearly in place before the RE um, yeah. Studios had ever shown any of, of this mechanic. That's a, a problem. And it's not one that Moon Studios should need to solve because it may be there's no fault there at all. It just ends up being a, an issue. And as we've said, the fact that Thomas Mahler is now developing a little bit of a pattern here and that Hollow Knight response, it's like, again... People are saying the game's similar to Hollow Knight. He doesn't come out and say, like, the the more uh, bulletproof response of, I've never played Hollow Knight, the fact that our game might be like it, great. That, that you know, fantastic. People spoke really well of Hollow Knight, so if we're doing something similar from a different place, that's not what he said. He said, I'm not even a big fan of Hollow Knight. Oh, all right. <laughs> yeah. Sure, that doesn't... And he thinks that's not a defense. to protest too much. <laughs> that's yeah, not a defense. Yeah. I don't even yeah. like their game. Their game's not that good. It's like, no, come on. Yeah. And what, of course, will happen is when Pepper Grinder comes out is just like as I walked out of a showing of uh, Denis Villeneuve's Dune the mm. other night, I was behind a couple of lads, younger, younger boys, maybe early to mid-20s, saying, well, of course... Really, I recognised a lot of that from Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) And you're going, yeah, do you want to butt in and be the annoying middle-aged man going, I think you'll find June came before Star Wars. (laughs) We can be the hipsters who said, yeah, actually, Pepper Grinder was uh, was in development before. And and there are are specific examples of this in video games with threes and um, I forget the name of the game. 2048. Yeah, yeah, 2048, but also Explosion Man and... Mr. Explodes and Explodemon. Oh, right. It was that whole thing where yeah. the, the the team that actually were the ones that came up with that mechanic first yes. were the ones being accused of copying and, and yeah. been there and done that myself with those games and had to hold my hands up and say, look, yeah. I'm really sorry. I had no oh, idea. I'd just seen that game yeah, first. And that was my point of comparison for this one. Yeah. Happens all the Absolutely. time. We, we, even, even those of us who like to try to be know-it-alls yeah. or hipsters or both, sometimes you... You don't. You just don't know which order things yeah. happened in, yeah. or or whatever yeah. else. And sometimes these things are genuine coincidences. For sure. And other times they're they're yeah they're clandestine projects. I think um, was it a bug? Was it ants? Was deliberately 
uh, Dream was it DreamWorks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they the made Ants yeah. Effect because they they knew Bugs Life was on its way, so they basically greenlit and rush rushed uh, their own bug CGI bug movie to to screens before they could give. Not that you could ever tell. It, <laughs> but no, 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 no one was harmed in the end. But uh, you know, it's uh, yeah, it's a strange, strange old business. The combat is great, though. I feel like I should say that. Um, I do think the the changes to um, the combat system and the specifically the the modifier system, which also feels similar to Hollow Knight. That's I the thing that stuck great... out for me. Yeah, the the yeah. charms in this game and badges in Hollow Knight is that the right way around? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, hundred yeah. percent. That's the same thing. Again, not the only games to do it, nope. but it's kind of striking that two, three years after Hollow Knight came out, this game starts to move in, di- in multiple directions yeah. that look like Hollow Knight. Yeah, yeah. And, and some great studios have been... Uh, I've, I've said this before, you know, Nintendo actually, when back in the day, they were they were pretty much doing this. Mm-hmm. They were taking successful ideas that yeah, other totally. arcade studios had and making them their own. You know, Balloon balloon Fight is Joust. Yeah, that, that was what they did. So it's, yeah, obviously back in, in the Wild West, it was easier to kind of get away with this stuff and, and you know, people weren't talking to each other in the same way and it was West versus East and all this stuff. But now, yeah, you've got to be a bit more savvy about w- what what you're taking from and where. And if you do just take it, take an influence from something, yeah, just, just own it. Just say, we loved Hollow night so we thought that system would fit really well here <laughs> so speaking about the combat as a whole i i do i kind of have mixed feelings about the sword combat in particular like i think it feels really really spectacular uh it feels like a kind of devil may cry uh really you know you're hammering on that button you're doing all sorts of big flashy sword swipes you're throwing enemies up into the air you have your kind of downward strike ability that feels great. And then you can kind of do a dodge roll backwards and chain into a, a bow and arrow shot. And the bow and arrow feels great as well. Like all of these just feel so good in in conjunction with one another, but I don't know if they feel right with the, I don't know if it's the health system in this game or if it's the enemy, the specific types of enemies that you're coming up against. But I, mm. I often... Like I think in Hollow Knight, there's a there's a little bit of a bounce back to your sword strikes mm-hmm. that um, kind of puts some en- some space between you and your enemies that really encourages you to take the kind of like one swipe at a time type of approach. You know the the gameplay feedback right. kind of naturally guides you into playing it in the best way possible. Whereas mm-hmm. in Ori, it's um, you know, Ori is taking steps forward, always kind of advancing with each sword strike. The sword strikes don't have any bounce back. And so you're always moving towards your enemies, but your enemies, mm. they're not being staggered by your sword swipes. Or if they do, yeah. they're often able to get out of a stagger cycle pretty quickly. They're oftentimes, uh, their attacks are through um, sometimes difficult to predict like projectiles. Mm-hmm. that will like 100% hit you if you're close enough to them. And it's like, that's not necessarily a problem because I don't find the combat balance to be that challenging. Like usually you are going to tear through their health before they're able to do too many hits to you if you're careful enough. But I just feel like the gameplay feedback is encouraging me to constantly move in when the ideal way that the game should be played is a little bit more kind of cautious take a couple swipes while you can and then get out of the way of a return strike. You know, it doesn't feel like it's 
instilling the best um, gameplay practices uh, that its combat otherwise kind of should uh, should naturally push me towards. I completely agree. Yeah, there's some the combat tended to be either very overcautious, and because in again in the early game where you're super weak and a couple of big hits will crush you, or you'll get mm-hmm. knocked back into some spikes or something. But then late game, I'm just not even paying any attention to whether I'm being hit or not, because no matter how, you know, unless I just stop attacking altogether, I'm not going to lose the fight. And then I can just heal myself up after with one of the the abilities anyway. So uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think it quite hit the sweet spot. And another, again, slightly nitpicky criticism, and this actually comes back to the art a bit is although there are some more distinctive enemies, I still think they struggle a bit with the silhouettes of enemies in the busyness Mm -hmm. within the busyness of the graphics. There's a lot of enemies that I think potentially look quite interesting. And I bet you looked absolutely spectacular in the concept and development stage. But once they're in the world and they're quite small, you're quite zoomed out. They're kind of, they, they can look a little bit messy and indistinct. I found. Yeah, yeah, I, I I tend to agree. I think the um the point that you both made about the 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 pacing of it, I think it comes back to the locomotion. You know, Hollow Knight has not slow but deliberate combat because the pace of your movement throughout the world is slower. In this game, the pace of mm. your movement, your locomotion is really fast, and you're encouraged to move, move, move. And the fact that then the combat does require a more deliberate, slower pace to it, especially early on when you're weak and you need to be considered about it. It feels jarring to go from full tilt moving forward to, oh, really better stop here because otherwise I'm going to be in trouble because either projectiles are getting fired at you or just the enemy that's in the way you need to deal with. And uh, yeah, it definitely jars a little bit early on. The combat feels really, really good though. And, you know, I don't want to like, I don't want to necessarily level this as a criticism. Maybe it's just kind of like the raw, the right system in the wrong game, or uh, it's like I, I really love the animation and the flow of everything. I just uh, I, I don't know exactly what I want from it. Whether whether the enemies should be less spongy so that you can just kind of like tear through them quicker, kind of like a Ninja Gaiden, three D Ninja Gaiden style combat, or if it was kind of like a Devil May Cry challenge mode, one hit, one kill for both you and the enemies, like that might feel really good. Uh, another like really kind of small nitpick that I have, um, you know, you're doing a lot of jumping around, a lot of movement in the air and on ground while you're in combat. Uh, you have the, your downward strike gives yourself kind of a shovel knight or a Scrooge McDuck type of like upwards thrust. The first time that you hit, you can do a second downward strike, but that one doesn't bounce you back up again and so you really have to like kind of keep track in your own mind like have i already done this and Mm. if so like i either need to dodge out of the way of the enemy on my way back down or you know you're essentially just going to be moving like straight into your enemy and then you know the entire enemy's your hitbox so uh yeah 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 you take damage whenever you touch that way if you don't accommodate for that do do, do you think sorry to go back to um, an earlier point do you think some of the issues of the combat is is actually more to do with the the enemy design rather than the actual controls themselves mm. because i'm thinking about um uh rayman origins which are obviously mm-hmm. the, the two games are quite similar the enemies are almost like non-challenges in that yeah. game right they just yeah, kind of yeah, exist as 
part mm-hmm. of the platforming challenge. And I wonder if the kind of forward momentum of the sword slash and the forward momentum of the, you know, the the hammer and all of all that jazz, like makes more sense in a game where the enemies are much more fragile and mm-hmm. much more part of the platforming challenge. And I do think once you get bash and, and stuff like that, it's arguable mm-hmm. that they do kind of integrate the the enemies into the platforming challenge later on. Mm-hmm. But you don't get that sense in the early game and it does end up feeling like I'm fighting Hollow Knight enemies but not with a Hollow Knight you know, system that's set up to, to to deal with those enemies, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's mm. entirely fair. And in, in Rayman Origins, when you're running at full tilt and you attack, it's a spin attack that keeps you moving forward. When you are stood still and punching and kicking, you do move slightly forward. So in my memory, at least, that's the way it feels to me. There is a little bit of sort of moving towards the enemies. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they're all pretty much one hit, they're dead. And they might, like, you know, uh, turn bubble and explode and give you a chance to... to uh, pick up the it's not looms from them whatever you're picking up from them but i think yeah that the fact that these enemies feel oftentimes shielded or certainly they have a health bar and you're also trying to negotiate projectiles that early on you can't do anything about you just kind of need to avoid until they become a weapon you can either use to fire back at the enemy or to to move around the enemy that's just not the case early on i think it is maybe just a situation of they were focused on the combat as it was going to be and not the combat as it was at the beginning um, is maybe where I come down on that being the issue. I think there's some moments of real brilliance in here. Uh, Those fights that really get me in particular are those big kind of like strong lion looking enemies that uh, they can take, they have quite a health pool and they have a varied enough move set where like you you're trying to get in and then you get out before their their large kind of overhead swipe which if you don't plan ahead and get out of the way soon like you can't escape its range like has a really long range and so mm-hmm. you really have to be kind of cautious and approach and retreat and know its animation cycles and such but um there, there are just some enemies where like the little slugs that shoot three spikes up into the air like that's something that like it still does that attack when you are in on it close and so it's more of a damage race at that point where like you just got to lie on top of it keep swiping away at your sword and hope that you can kill it before it fires off its next kind of animation cycle its next attack cycle i I think the the very worst is trying to fight mosquitoes as they're kind of buzzing in and out of your like jump radius uh, because oftentimes you can just kind of run past them and ignore them it's not like a huge deal Mm. Uh, but uh, yeah, if you're really intent on taking out some of the flying enemies, then sometimes that can get uh, a little bit annoying. Um, but overall, like it, it feels very close to being really good. And I think it does, like we said before, like a certain amount of kind of like muddiness of of uh, visual readability when it comes to too many glowing objects being close to each other. Like in your as you're kind of like sword swiping at really close range like that's when the game is at its least readable when you need the most visual information so mm. yeah it's like little tiny complaints that kind of stack on top of each other but still like i don't know if i would i don't know how much i would really change it because it does feel really good when it's working but uh yeah just very small complaints perhaps one of the more notorious elements of the original were the chase sequences the the, the previous game didn't have 
traditional boss fights as such, but it had uh, sequences where you, yeah, had to get from A to B while the level usually fell apart or flooded or you were being chased by something big and nasty and scary. And it was about keeping ahead of the carnage to the end of the sequence. Some of them were, yeah, really quite difficult Mm -hmm. in the first game, uh, instant death and no checkpoints although i think they added in the definitive edition checkpoints in the easier mode but i when i played it recently i just played it on normal so i didn't feel the benefit of those the there are some chase sequences in this one uh i found they were of again it may have may have been me but i found they were quite uh mixed in terms of how demanding they were there was one and it's annoying me that I can't remember which one, which ones were which, but one of them took me a lot of goes and made me quite angry. Another one I did first go, um, but maybe I was just, maybe, maybe I was just on it that second one. But uh, these are where sometimes I think the the visuals are just a bit much at mm-hmm. times. Like uh, I appreciate the the challenge uh, that that this kind of gameplay throws at you, and it mixes things up a bit. And there is definitely a a bit of an adrenaline rush and a a sense of relief at the end but there is also some frustration especially when the visuals are kind of so deep and intense and rich and parallax everywhere and animation everywhere and background and foreground and colors and it it can be quite hard i find to separate everything and uh and you know kind of reach the zen state but I got there in the end. There's that one chase in the sandy area with the the worm that I thought was particularly effective, um, just because it's still visually rich. It's still like all the things that you just said, Leon. But I think for whatever reason, Ori, in that environment specifically, Ori really stands out crystal clear. Um, and the way those um, those burrowing sections are laid out, like there's a clear distinction between what yeah. is interactive and what is not interactive in a way they don't quite achieve in other areas. So that to me is, you know, the chase sequence at its best where everything is visually clear while not sacrificing any of the visual richness. Um, but totally agree. Like that's rare. Like it, most of the time it can be a little bit fluffy around the edges. It's a weird one, isn't it? Because with a chase sequence, you, you, I suppose you kind of, I, well, maybe projecting here, I kind of want it to go two ways. I either want to feel like I'm going to fail at any moment and just get through by the skin mm. of my teeth at every single turn. And that's exhilarating because yeah. it feels like I've done something cool and it's cinematic and it was actually easy to get through, but it didn't feel easy and I therefore enjoyed it. Or the other end of that is, you you know that you're in for a tough time. You know it's a really difficult platforming section, like a challenge level in like a Rayman Origins, and you're learning it bit by bit as you go. And but the end result is you string the whole lot together, and it's the satisfaction of yes, did it beat it? Feel just brilliant about it. Um, and yeah, it, from what you're saying, Leon, I I certainly remember feeling this way. It feels like it's uneven. It's not one thing or the other in in this game where if it was all the difficult uh, sections, maybe you wouldn't get so frustrated because you'd know what you're in for. Whereas if you go through one and beat it first time and then the next one you're banging your head against, you feel start to feel like there's something up with you because you feel like it should mm-hmm. be a similar level of difficulty from one to the next. And so that 
that is kind of how, how I felt about these sections. Despite really enjoying them, I think there was an unevenness there, uh, which maybe is kind of what, what we were talking about with the combat as well. When it works, and particularly it works more towards the later game, it sounds like for most of us, when it works, it's really great. But when it doesn't, it feels like something's off. What I will say is that I was pleasantly surprised overall by the introduction of traditional boss fights. I thought they were very carefully designed to, obviously, they had their sticky moments and sometimes I wouldn't be best prepared or whatever. But um, but overall, I thought they, they were, because they took place in their own bespoke arenas for the most part, they were able to more clearly communicate to the player kind of the the moves and and uh, the charges and all the various, all the kind of information you need to feel like you're not being just yeah cheated out of uh, health and whatever else. Combined with the fact that I think they, in terms of difficulty, they they were designed more in the mold of a spectacular set piece to be gotten past, maybe in not you know not too many goes, rather than a this these aren't cuphead type bosses where you've got to learn and learn and learn and die and die and die uh and yeah as you hope from the the rest of the visuals of the game the uh some of the the actual presentation is is pretty spectacular Mm. i thought the spider in in particular was just uh amazing looking no boss talk um i i really liked so having said that shriek felt like a bit of a oh it's an owl again i i really Mm -hmm. liked the visual design of shriek I thought that was a a terrifying yeah. character because yes. of the way it moves. Yeah. Like, are, are the stilts part and of the, the wings? Sound. That's weird. It, it it feels like you're trying to work out what this thing is, whilst also being hunted by it across the the um the space. And I thought that was really well done. And it speaks to what what I, th- I think is is the game's strength is setting the atmosphere and using their animation and their art skills and the the music to really put you in the place. And the thing about the bosses, obviously, is you, you're still giving the player all of the tools with which to do it, but you're setting a really defined play space and a really defined set of prompts for the player in terms of the, the boss attacks or the boss movement. Um, and yeah, I think they did a really good job with setting, yes, for the spider and, and I think for Shriek as well, a really tense, sort of exhilarating boss sequence in a different way from the chases. But yeah, I, I thought that was that was a really good addition as well. And actually, I think they mostly give you more than one way to attack mm. them. So again, rather than the completely prescribed mm. sequence of events and attacks that you might expect from a boss, there's actually a certain amount of player flexibility yeah, in definitely. in 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 the way you can actually you could, for instance, launch yourself up to head height on a boss, or you can kind of skulk around firing its own projectiles back at it and things like that. Just small things, but just, again, as somebody, I, I, I can get incredibly frustrated with games that just require the exact same sequence of inputs being put in precisely time after time. This, again, just allowed me just that little bit of improvisation and and thought rather than just doing exactly what the game has decided that I need to do to progress. Yeah, you don't you don't want to end up kind of exasperatedly or annoyingly saying to the game, look, I know what you want me to do. Can we just agree that I've done it and move on? You know, it's, it's literally <laughs> yeah. just the matter of pressing the buttons at that point. 
Self from the forum says the traditional style boss fights were a great addition and fun to play, but this series still shines with its nail-biting chase sequences. I found the Sandworm one incredibly frustrating at times, but much like the Rayman series, I can't help but feel a great sense of achievement when they're done. Kasuga-san says, I find it hard to think of the second game as fondly as I did the first. In Blind Forest, there were sections where the game truly made me feel like I'd mastered the mechanics as I fitted, flitted around and escaped areas. One of the Wisps escape sections in particular I remember as being brutal. Maybe some of the movement wasn't quite as responsive since it did have some slowdown at times, but some of those timed sections felt like they could have used a little bit more TLC. I want to say the roughest one was in a snow area. Once I finally beat it, it didn't feel like an accomplishment. Instead, it felt like pure dumb luck. Kind of dampened the brilliant boss designs, gorgeous animation, and yet another great soundtrack from Gareth Coker. But it's still one of my favourite platformers of the past decade. It's interesting, a few of the more critical responses we had of people who played the game when it was new out and uh, and had those technical issues, which, which yeah, probably did impinge upon some people's experience of the game and therefore their affection towards it ultimately which why didn't they just hold it back another month i found it fascinating to learn that am2r another metroid 2 remake developer milton guasti joined the team in 2017 supporting level design according to wikipedia that's a game that i intend for us to cover assuming we can get hold of it somehow um, for for a future Kane and Rince podcast, the unofficial Metroid 2 remake. Sam C from the forum says, the world is big and beautiful, but even after playing through just once, I felt I'd really seen it all, except maybe a few nooks and crannies holding extra health and mana, not enough to motivate me to keep exploring after the credits rolled anyway. I never felt... I could stumble on a particularly interesting secret. No secret characters, bosses, bits of lore and so on, unlike other exploration-heavy games like Dark Souls. Drink. I, I didn't mention it first. <laughs> I said Bloodborne earlier. I didn't say Dark Souls. <laughs> <laughs> We've said Soulsborne. Uh, I think uh, I, I think I know what Sam Z is getting at here. And in fact, you can, of course, buy or complete a quest to have every secret put onto the map, which is a feature I appreciate but then it does, there, there is still a puzzle to finding some of the items even once they're on the map. Mm-hmm. It's a rather modern uh, quality of life type of thing, whereas an old Metroid game would have just made you continue to explore until you found everything for yourself. And maybe that's more rewarding, but takes a lot more time and yeah, effort I mean, if and it, patience. If it's labelled on a map, the one thing that's not going to happen is you're not going to randomly stumble across something. You're going to go to that area and look for it and then it's, yeah, solve the puzzle mm. to find it. So it does rob a little bit of the the exploration, I think. There's a few little one-offs I, I enjoyed, such as one where there's a, a, a big stone gate that you have to open by hitting a sequence of plants that make chimes and that's never really explained to you. It's just there and it's... It's not yeah, it's not super complicated, but it was just a puzzle, you know, a, an environmental puzzle that asked you to do it, but you didn't have to. Stuff like that I enjoyed. Toon Scottoon says, Thomas Quillfelt convinced me to finish this game, even though he hasn't played it, funnily enough. My original intention was to tackle it on release. And for four nights after it came out, I spent my free time joyfully zipping, flipping and floating through the game's landscape of luminescent grandeur while gathering four of the five wisps necessary to progress the story. I was about to collect the fifth one, which for me was supposed to come from the poison excreting spider monster Mora, when between the first and second stage of that battle, my screen went black and my living room was filled with the screams of the big arachnid. Not sure how I'd halted the game, 
I rebooted my save file, returned to fight Mora a second time, and same thing. Frustrated, but certain that a patch was coming, I put Ori and the Will of the Wisps aside. The next day, in-person instruction at the high school where I teach and the elementary school that my two children attend was halted due to COVID-19 for the next 15 months. Suddenly, I was trying to figure out how to teach my 17-year-old students in a fully online environment while simultaneously supporting my two elementary school daughters in their growth, and so Ori's adventure drifted further from my mind. Then over the summer, driving across the Mojave from Phoenix to Oakland, I booted up a special episode of Sound of Play where Thomas Quilfelt interviewed composer Gareth Coker and spoke about the Will of the Wisps soundtrack and I decided I should go see what was happening with my little tree sprite and that big spider that gave me such a hard time. Going back to the game, the controls were not as intuitive as I remembered and Mora pummeled me into spirit dust a fair amount of times. But I made it past her and onto Shriek and found the ending satisfying, if perhaps a little forgettable. Not because what took place wasn't interesting, but because my journey had been so disjointed by time and circumstance. Still, I'm glad I got back to Ori, and I appreciate the role that Thomas played in making that happen. Well done for getting back to it. So yeah, we've talked about our percentages of completion. I'm on 91. Ryan said 97. I'm not sure if you others have disclosed anyone hundred percented no um it's definitely a game that i intended to go back to but was waiting for patches and then by the time the patches came i just didn't get back to it same old story unfortunately is if the game's not right at launch a certain amount of people are going to wander away i did so after beating it so you know job done in that Mm -hmm. respect but yeah definitely intended to go back it's exactly the sort of game i wanted to go back 100 percent, but just haven't yet so most of the achievements kind of yeah relatively straightforward and as you'd expect but there are a couple there's a hardcore mode one and a uh which uh, the one that makes a return from the previous game which is the complete the entire game without dying so i had i think i, I think I had about 227 eight deaths something like that just playing normally Now, I don't know what that would come down to if I started all over again, because obviously I've learned a lot, but I still think not dying in the first maybe couple or three hours would be a tall order for most people of normal level of ability. I don't know. Seems like the sort of thing that you could try and do it first playthrough. Or the other way to do it would be play through the game once and then have a new game plus where you still have all your abilities and your full life bar. And that would be the way most people would try that achievement. Oh, I mean, that's just too easy. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) But it's it's time versus expertise, isn't it? You can either do it more quickly, you know, first time around or take your time and, and do it that way. But even then, I would bulk at the idea of it because no matter how big your life bar and your abilities are, the chase sequences are still insta-death yep. effectively, yeah. aren't they? So never going to do that. <laughs> Sasquance from the forum says, an emotional thrill ride similar to its predecessor. I laughed frequently, occasionally because I was bouncing around wall to wall, loving Ori's carefully animated actions teared up more than once and ultimately felt like I was actually satisfied when I came to the conclusion of this great title. Ori and the Will of the Wisps hits a perfect note of Ghibli feels, emotion-evoking music, tight controls, lively animations and, most importantly, frustrating but very enjoyable difficulty levels. Thank you, folks. We also have a smattering of three word reviews. Follow us on social media at Kanan Rince. Uh, first up, we have Toon Scotoon, who says, Great Artists Steal. 
Shy, 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 boomy says, try, try again. Mr. Ixalite says, jumping for joy. Christopher Love says, elegance in animation. Ashton Herman with soundtrack is exquisite. Real Dave Jackson says, gorgeous, heartfelt, challenging. It's Hazel says, beautifully crafted challenge. And Akiratron says, magical micro Metroidvania. Thank you, folks. So uh, to conclude, would we recommend Ori and the Will of the Wisps? I don't have an obvious sense of in what order we should go. So I will start with James Carter. Yeah, I, I always feel weird recommending the game at the end of the two-hour podcast where we've completely spoiled the you know the story. Um, but <laughs> well, yeah. obviously this game's on, uh, or has been on, I, I assume it still is on Game Pass, being an Xbox uh, Game Studios mm-hmm. game. It is. Therefore... Anyone with Game Pass has the opportunity. Also on Switch, great place to, to play it by all, all accounts, although not having tried it myself. It's a weird one. I was so enthused for this game and changing the combat to make it more Hollow Knight, that should have been a plus for me, but the reaction to people pointing that out dampened my enthusiasm for that. More of the, the same story-wise, not necessarily a problem for me because it did still hit emotionally. Um, I didn't suffer in the way Josh did with that, but can't deny that that feels like a bit of a letdown versus the strides forward made in other areas particularly combat and you know the technical side of things and the 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 icing on the cake or the opposite whatever the opposite of icing on the cake is the most undermining part of it Mm. was the bugs and issues i had to the point of right at the end of the game what should have been the most sort of hard-hitting part I, I ended up being worried that I'd just fried my Xbox One X just by playing this game, not doing anything other than just playing this game. Um, that's not a great way to experience this game. So it's a weird one where I was really looking forward to it. I'd enjoyed the first one uh, massively, and, and I still absolutely enjoyed this, the vast majority of my time with it. But my lasting feeling and, and what has dominated uh, some of this conversation more than I would have necessarily maybe expected it to certainly as I was playing it is this the stuff that just rubs me the wrong way a little bit unfortunately the way it looks the way it, it plays and the um, the music almost faultless for me but the other stuff's kind of sitting there on the tongue as well just a little bit of a bad aftertaste unfortunately thanks James I did enjoy Ori and the Will of the Wisps. Uh, Coming off the back of its predecessor, I felt like they refined a lot of the sort of gameplay elements that were perhaps a little bit, this is our first game. And believe me, you know, I I very much enjoyed uh, Blind Forest by the standards of of many first games. It was uh, a pretty remarkable one. Uh, and what's even more remarkable, I think, is the way that the the visuals on this one, especially playing on a on a four K capable format, uh, actually managed to yeah render the originals already seemingly at the time sumptuous and gorgeous visuals. Uh, uh, yeah, just a little, looking look a little old hat. Um, all that said, uh, I was not. It, it's so weird because I, I can I can look at the animation and the characters of this game and think it's quite adorable and I might show it's the kind of game that I might show my partner and sort of say look at you know how look how good this looks and look how cute this all is and I think she'd she'd appreciate it but I don't feel like I, I don't I, I haven't made like a hugely strong emotional connection with the 
with the game world and its lore and and all that kind of thing. It's cute in the moment, and and obviously, yeah, the animation is is just yeah sublime and everything like that. But I think uh, going back to the well, quite so the exact same well, <laughs> quite so blatantly and patently for the second game was a little lacking in imagination and. Uh, yeah, if they if they were to do a third Ori, I don't know. I don't know what you could do really. I suspect the story does kind of end here. We haven't really fully spoiled the ending, but it it sort of is a definite ending, but also sort of definitely could allow for more. We shall see. Uh, but yeah, in terms of the 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 absolute raft of modern two D side scrolling gear gated Metroidvania platform arcade adventures uh in terms of pure fun and enjoyment then yeah this is uh this is one that's well worth seeking out if you have a system on which you can play it josh it's it's really funny comparing this sequel with its predecessor because i find that the strengths of this game are the weaknesses of the previous game and the strengths of the previous game are the weaknesses of this game. I kind of go to them for two completely different reasons. That I think the first game lands with more emotional impact. I think there are more memorable moments that kind of have stayed with me in that first game than there is in this sequel. However, if... I'm going to choose which one I want to just play around with and just experience the joy of interacting with it, I'd absolutely pick up the sequel because I think it feels Mm. better. I think the level design supports the way Ori controls better. I I prefer the combat system. There's so much about it that feels a a bit more rigorous, a bit more uh, robust than the systems that are in the original game. Um, Do I recommend it? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's definitely um, mechanically up there with some of my favorites in the genre. It just doesn't quite grab my heart in the way something like Hollow Knight or more recently Metroid Dread does in this space. It's... uh, it's just it's almost there, but not quite. But still, it's still worth a play. Thanks, Josh. Let's finish with Ryan. Yeah, I'm going to be actually pretty similar to Josh's assessment there in that uh, I really, really love this game. It's kind of an exceptionally comfortable game for me to play. Like I love the interaction with the game world. I just, you know, just give me more trees to run up as this this beautiful little creature and i'll continue doing that because ori is just an absolute delight to navigate around the game environment and just the number of upgrades and movement abilities that you gain throughout burrowing through the sand and launching yourself into the air and all these like all these fantastic upgrades are they just make that sheer expressive reactive uh platforming that much more rewarding and fun but one of the things that i really came away with um from this game was about like maybe a month or two after after beating the game is that i realized thinking back i didn't really have any strong memories of playing the game hmm. which is which hmm. is weird because i look back on uh you know some of the bosses and some of the um uh, some of the big 
uh, like set piece moments. I'm like, oh yeah, 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 of course that was great. And then on my second playthrough now, I'm encountering a lot of areas. You know, the uh, the desert area in particular uh, is where I am in my replay right now. And it's like, yeah, this this part was awesome. This is great. I remember liking this a lot, but unprovoked. It's not a game where I have an easy time recalling my memories of it without that kind of, without something else to assist me. And I don't know, I don't know why that is. If I'm mm. just getting old or if there's something about playing two of these games that are ostensibly kind of set in very similar types of environments, maybe it kind of blurs together in the, in a way that yeah. games with a little bit more kind of variety in their locations, like Mario Odyssey or even like a Donkey Kong Country, like they don't tend to blur together. But um, yeah, I just, uh, for some reason, I, I I just didn't come away with like a huge, you know, mark on my soul, you know, a huge, like a, a huge kind of permanent, you know, stuff to think about once the game is, is done, mm. which for this type of game, I don't even think it's that necessary because this is such an experiential game it's such like a like a feel it in your you know feel it in the moment and just enjoy parkouring around this beautiful world that uh maybe that actually kind of works as a bit of a benefit because going back the second time now it is kind of like just playing a fresh game again and a game that mm. i can already vouch for myself loving the first time around and so you know the fact that i'm not uh overly familiar <laughs> Uh, having rehearsed the game in my mind time and time again, like I have some of the levels of like Rayman Legends where I can just kind of play them with my eyes closed is kind of a benefit perhaps. So I'll give, I I'll kind of boil down my recommendation in saying that like, yes, absolutely. If you, if you love platformers and if you love like really expressive control schemes in video games, which is, you know, one of the things that I'm really about, it doesn't, get much better than Ori and the Will of the Wisps. You know, this is a definite must play for that type of player. But um in a way it like in a way it feels a little non-essential, but you're gonna have such a good time with it. You know, play it, but if you have six months to live, like it's not one of the ones that you absolutely <laughs> have to have to have to hit. But you're gonna have so much fun. But yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm stuck in 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 the balance here. <laughs> so yeah, it's kind of a, a bit of a shrug, but uh I, I really love this game. For me, it it definitely makes my top hundred of all time, but it's uh it's mm. marvelous game. But yeah, it just doesn't have that came same kind of staying power that a lot of other favorites do. Interesting. I, I really want to know what are the games you would play if you only had six months left. <laughs> that seems like a discussion. <laughs> Maybe that we should make that yeah. as a special podcast. Six months to live. <laughs> Cheery. Right. Okay. <laughs> it remains for me, Leon, to thank James, Josh, and Ryan, and also to Ryan for editing, as well as our correspondents, plus you, of course, for listening. Next time, in issue 496, the second stop along on our Vampire Odyssey with Castlevania 2 Simon's Quest. <laughs>